Uh, well, after a few weeks away from the book of Ephesians, uh, we're coming back to finish it off. Uh, Don West, he was going to preach this passage a few weeks ago for us. Uh, and that would have just tied, you know, a little nice bow uh, in the series. But yeah, he was un- unable to make it. And that's the week that we had uh, Ben Smart come along. But yeah, I don't know about you, it just didn't feel right kind of leaving the series thinking about the death of division in Ephesians uh, unfinished. And so we're going to come back to it this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, um, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Since chapter 4, Paul has been describing to us what it looks like for us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. No longer walking as the Gentiles do, but as imitators of God. We looked at the implications for what that looks like within marriage, uh, within parenting, within the workplace. And now finally here at the end of the letter in chapter 6, verse 10, Paul changes the metaphor of what the Christian looks, life looks like from walking to standing. If you are someone who is no longer separated from God, but has been reconciled to him and to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, then Paul's charge to you is to stand. Stand firm in your new position in Christ. And in this passage, he's going to tell us what that looks like and how to do it. So let's read from Ephesians 6, verse 10, and then I'll pray and we'll consider what this means for us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end... Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we do need your help this morning for your word to do its work in our hearts and minds. So please send us your spirit to bring your word to life so that it might change us more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus. 
And Lord, please strengthen me to preach your word faithfully for the good of your people and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, I wonder, what is the last time that you thought about angels and demons? It wouldn't be a surprise at all if you'd said that it had been months or maybe even years since it had crossed your mind. Uh, I must confess, it's certainly not something that I even think about on a weekly basis. Not because I don't think that they're real, but because we live in such a materialistic world, don't we? And I don't even mean that in a negative sense. I mean, us human beings, we're created with five senses, aren't we? And a movie was once made about someone that had that supernatural sixth sense. But it certainly isn't our common experience here in Perth, Western Australia. To be in a state of constant awareness of the spiritual realm, let alone experiencing it firsthand. Now, I'm sure there are many of us with stories of encounters with angels and demons. Uh, I've got a few myself as well, but I think that what tends to happen is even after a particular experience or hearing a particular story, we drift too easily back into this state of unawareness. Unaware that there is a very real, a very powerful, and a very dangerous enemy that is at work against the people of God. While we're very often aware of the latest government party, its policy and its agenda, we're very aware of the state of the media, we're very aware of the dangers of technology, how often are we aware of a far greater reality that is actively at work to destroy the church, to destroy us? But Paul says here in verse 12 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, these are not different things or different people or different groups. Paul is using all of these words to describe the kinds of forces that we're up against. They aren't material. They aren't worldly. They aren't made of flesh and blood. They are spiritual and they are demonic. And there is so much more at stake in this war. These spiritual powers aren't simply out to harm your body or your bank account or your possessions or your relationships. They might well do those things, but not because they want to see us suffer. They do it so they might destroy us spiritually. They're out to take us away from God. Ever since the beginning, what was Satan doing in the garden? He wasn't out to destroy their best life in the garden. He was there to destroy their relationship with God. And ever since, there has indeed been enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. The people of God have been at war with the devil and his demonic army since the beginning. And the big question at stake is, who will triumph? Now, we already know the answer to this question, don't we? Ephesians has already shown us that our Lord Jesus Christ has triumphed over the devil. 
and he has been seated at the right hand of God, and he is far above over all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that has ever been named, not only in this age, but in the one to come as well. Jesus Christ, he has won this great war, hasn't he? Through his death on the cross and through his resurrection from the grave. But we don't quite yet live in the full reality of it, do we? You would have heard us preach before about the now but not yet period that we live in since the resurrection of Christ and his second coming, which is to come. Which means for us that Christ has won the war now, but not yet do we yet experience the fullness of it. Christ has conquered and defeated every spiritual enemy of ours, but not yet has he come back to put all things under his feet. And he has done this so that the full number of his people would come to salvation first. Because once he comes back, there is no second chance. There is no coming to Jesus in faith and repentance on that final judgment day. And so we wait in this now but not yet period, still fighting against our spiritual enemy. Uh, This has been likened to D-Day in World War II. Uh, The day which the Battle of Normandy uh, began, it turned out to be the decisive day in which the whole war was won. From that day on, the inevitable would come, the surrender of Nazi Germany and their allies. But it was still about 15 months before the war actually ended, as there were still many battles to come, but D-Day proved to be decisive. There was always only going to be one outcome from that day forward. And so too, since Good Friday, there is only going to be one outcome. Jesus Christ, he will rule and reign over all things when he returns, and every enemy will be crushed under his feet. But until that day, the fight goes on. The enemy still resists the inevitable result. They know they've lost, but they're going to do all that they can to drag down anyone else with them. So do you see what's at stake in this war? There is an entire reality that we cannot see that is out to do all that they can to make sure that we don't spend eternity with God. This is so much bigger than a fight for political influence or for particular rights or freedoms. This is a war for your soul. This is a war against the very body of Christ. So church, we need to be on guard. We need to watch out. We need not to speculate on how the enemy is out to get us or go looking for a demon under every rock but we need to be prepared for a fight because our very salvation is under fire from the enemy. So how is it that we can persevere in this great battle? How is it that we can make it to the end as faithful followers of Jesus? Well, Paul commands us in verse 11, put on the whole armour of God so that you may be able to stand against 
the schemes of the devil. Paul says that God has provided us with weapons, with armour for this fight. We aren't going to try and do this in our own strength, but we are, as it says in verse 10, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. All that we need for our perseverance, for this battle, to see that we do not fall at the hands of our enemy, but that we stand, it all comes from God. And more specifically, I think it comes through our union with Christ. 30 or more times in this short letter, the phrase in Christ or is used or something that's similar, which speaks of our union with Christ. It's this mysterious union that Paul says in chapter 5 that marriage is an image of, where such is our intimate connection with Christ is that we are one flesh. In chapter 4, where the body and Christ is the head. In chapter 2, the image of a building is used where Christ is the cornerstone and we all find our place in connection to and in relation to him alone. And here in our passage, it is in the Lord, it is in Christ that we are to be strong. In the strength of his might and not our own. And the armour of God that we are to put on is in fact Christ's armour. Uh, These are all the Old Testament references to each piece that is listed in these verses. And every one of those references are in the context of messianic passages. That is, that each of those Old Testament passages are pointing us forward to the coming Messiah, Jesus. And so it is in his armour that we share in because of our union with Christ. Which means that what we have for this fight is already ours because of Jesus. If you have trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins, if you have turned your sinful ways, and if you want to live more faithfully for him, then you are in Christ and you have everything that you need to persevere and to stand firm in the attacks from the evil one. We need not be frightened of our enemy, but we look to the one to whom we have been united with and we trust in him that he has already given us everything that we need. We take our position standing against the forces of evil through our union with Christ as we share in his strength and in his armor. And so please, friends, don't ever be misled into thinking that you can hold fast to Christ apart from his strength. Don't assume that because you prayed a prayer once, or that you've been baptised, that you automatically will be found righteous on that final day. Cling to Christ in faith. Find in him your source of strength and put on his armour so that you will stand fast. Keep returning to him again and again in faith. Because Paul commands us, We are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We are to put on the whole armour that is God's, not our own, so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So, what is this armour? First of all, we have the belt of truth. 
If Paul has the armor of a Roman soldier here in mind, which it's very likely that he does, uh, then it's not like the belts that we wear today. A soldier's belt, it actually marked them out as a soldier. Even when they were off duty, they would wear this belt as a mark or as a status that they were a soldier. It was a sign to those around them that this is what they did. And so too, I think Paul is saying here, that we, as the people of God, ought to be marked by truth. But not merely as a label or as a badge, as a status, but something more deeply than that. It's something that defines who we are. A people who are marked by truth. Marked by the truth of the gospel as we speak to it in love to one another. And also that our lives are marked by truth and not by falsehood as well. The church, we must not be a place where we are saying one thing to somebody's face, but then another thing behind their back. Let us speak truthfully, even when it's difficult, and continue to have open conversations with one another for the sake of the gospel, so that we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Because without the truth we will all be vulnerable to the father of lies. He loves to get a foothold through deceit. In fact, it's actually giving him an easy road to his attacks, isn't it? When we don't have the courage to live in light of the truth and to be honest with one another, the devil continues to drive little wedges in between us. And it is how division and disunity can creep in so easily. But rather, speaking the truth in love, listening well to one another, being honest, always does more good than harm as we strive to attain to unity and maturity. And so we must put on the belt of truth so that we can stand firm and persevere. So too must we put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now this, I think, has a very similar function to the belt of truth except that the breastplate of righteousness is what we're to use to guard our hearts. With upright and with godly living, we protect our hearts from the attack of the enemy. See, when we continue to live in sin, we're playing with fire, creating opportunity for that sin to ultimately ruin us. The devil, he loves to attack the church in this way. Immorality and unrighteousness it is so often a snowball effect, isn't it? Which leads to turn our hearts away from the living God. Which is what Israel did in the wilderness, wasn't it? They too quickly, they set their hearts on things other than God and it utterly ruined them. An entire generation lost in the wilderness who didn't enter the promised land because they hardened their hearts against God. But when we put on the breastplate of righteousness and we walk in the righteousness which Jesus has won for us, then we resist the attacks of the enemy and his attempts to use any sin that's in our lives to cause us to stumble and to fall away. Yes, we absolutely stand on and trust in Jesus' righteousness, and that at the same time, we guard our hearts, giving no opportunity to the devil through ungodly living. It's as the proverb goes, guard your heart, for from it, comes the wellspring of life. We stand firm against the schemes of the devil 
by putting on the breastplate of righteousness and living upright and godly lives. The next piece of armor we're to put on are shoes for our feet, which is the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And this, interestingly, is the first of only two pieces of armor which we are actually to go on the attack. And how is it that we actively fight against our enemy? By taking the gospel to people. Which might come as a surprise to us, but evangelism is actually an act of spiritual warfare. You are heading to the front lines when you take the gospel to your neighbor or to your workmate. You are standing firm against the work of the enemy. You are resisting, resisting his schemes by taking the gospel to those who need to hear it. This is how we actually undermine our spiritual opponents. See, while they're actively trying to destroy the church, as we take the gospel to the lost and as we welcome them into the church, we actually grow instead, don't we? As Isaiah 52 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the one who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The main way that we stand firm and fight against our enemy is not by attributing every little thing that goes wrong to his doing and then praying against it, but by taking the gospel to people who need it. And it's amazing that this double effect, right, of evangelism is that it not only wins people for the kingdom, but it strengthens us as well, doesn't it? It helps us to stand firm against the schemes of the devil they help us to persevere until the end. Uh, in all circumstances, we're to take up the shield of faith and stand firm. In our Christian walk, there's going to be wave after wave of attack of these flaming darts from the evil one. Arrows that are not only meant to just injure us, but to kill us. And so we must take up the shield of faith to block and to extinguish these flaming darts. Um, I've never been very good at archery. I think that my technique is all wrong because it just keeps rubbing against my arm um, on the way out, um, which means that, right, it slows down, it's never accurate, goes all over the shop. But if you ever have seen someone who does know properly how to use a bow and arrow, um, it's really impressive, isn't it? And it's actually frightening, it's scary. Archers who know what they are doing can cause their arrows to fly at over 200 kilometers an hour. And so we're foolish to think that we could stand unprotected against a barrage of arrows in real life. And so too are we fools if we think that we can stand firm without the shield of faith. And so what is this shield of faith? Well, it's not faith in faith itself. But faith that is trust in something, namely the Lord's love and care for his people. It's confidence. The shield of faith is confidence that God's loving care will keep us safe from all the, uh, all the flaming darts of the evil one. It's trusting that no matter what happens, even in the midst of hardship and persecution and suffering, God still holds us and he still loves us and he still loves as we continue to have faith that God will shield us from the attacks of the enemy, 
He will sustain us. We stand firm by standing behind our God, who is our shield. That's how David puts it in Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. In the midst of attacks from the enemy, faith says, Lord, you are my shield around me. You will protect me. You will help me to stand firm. And so I trust in you. So church, we must take up the shield of faith so that we might stand firm against the schemes of the devil and so persevere until the end. The helmet of salvation is perhaps that which protects us particularly in times of doubt. Another scheme of the devil is to plant seeds of doubt into the minds of God's people. And this is, again, almost as old as time itself, isn't it? In the garden, what did he say to Eve? Did God really say this? In the wilderness, what did he say to Jesus? If you are the Son of God, you should do this. It's a very common tactic of his to make us doubt our faith. But the helmet of salvation protects our minds through the knowledge of what God has done for us in saving us. We can truly know that Jesus Christ has died on the cross and risen from the grave. And if that is true, then I can know and you can know that God's plan of salvation will never fail. And I can guard my mind from the attacks of the evil one. To stand firm, we must put on the helmet of salvation so that we might persevere until the end. And finally, we are to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It seems quite fitting that this is the climactic piece to the end of this section, isn't it? The second piece by which we are not only to stand firm, but we are also to resist and fight back against the schemes of the devil. We can go on the offensive in our efforts to stand firm by the means of the Word of God. Again, this is what Jesus did, didn't he? In the wilderness, when he was tempted by Satan, every time he replied by saying, it is written and quoted scripture. He quotes the word of God as a means to resist the attacks from the devil and to stand firm and to persevere until the end. Which is, in fact, what Adam didn't do in the garden, didn't he? When Satan tempted Eve and when Eve handed him the fruit, He should have jumped in and said, but God said not to. And so may we not fall to the same fate because we do not know how to use the sword of the Spirit. It's so beautiful that the sword of the Spirit, it's, it's synonymous, isn't it, with the Word of God. The Word and the Spirit, they always go together. They aren't opposites. One isn't intellectual and the other spiritual but we must use the scriptures to stand firm against these spiritual attacks of the enemy. 
And so that, that kind of means, right, that we need to know it. And we need to know it well. I know we rushed through it quite quickly, but here we have the armor of God. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. But yet, it doesn't quite stop there, does it? Um, Paul doesn't quite list the next thing as part of the armor of God, but Paul says that prayer is a non-negotiable way that we have to stand firm. Praying at all times in the Spirit with prayer and supplication. Now, there's many questions we could ask about this, but I think a good one for us to consider is, what does it mean for us to pray at all times in the Spirit? And I think in keeping with the theme of this passage, in that it is God's armour and that He provides everything that we need to persevere, so too does the Spirit intercede for us in ways that we don't always know how we ought to pray. Uh, this is that connection to Romans 8, where Paul says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. But we do not always know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And so, what does praying in the Spirit at all times look like? It means that we are to continually turn the eyes of our heart to God in faith. Sometimes we pray with words, and sometimes we pray with groanings that are too deep for words. And we pray, Lord, please help me. Please give me your armour so that I might stand firm. Please help me to resist. Please give me faith. Please give me strength. Please help me to call to mind your word so that I might trust you. Lord, please be a shield around me. When we are so under attack from the evil one, Sometimes the only words that we can utter are, Lord, please help me. But we need to do that, don't we? All the time. All the time. We need to be pleading with God for help so that we might persevere, so that we might resist, so that we might stand firm. To that end, Paul says, keep alert with all perseverance. Church, we must be diligent in prayer. Keep alert with all perseverance. We cannot afford to let up in this. We cannot afford to slack off. We are in this battle. We are at war against this spiritual enemy that is out to end us. We cannot go even a moment without seeking the Lord's help. We cannot afford to go to sleep because the enemy is like a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. Think if you knew that there was a real live wild lion here in this room right now, I don't think you'd be sitting as comfortably as you are. 
We must keep alert with all perseverance. That is what this passage is all about. But let us not forget this little inclusion from Paul. Making supplications for all the saints. Brothers and sisters, let us not grow weary in praying for one another. We really do need the prayers of one another in perseverance. The greatest thing that we could ever pray for each other is that we might hold fast to our Lord Jesus. We must pray for each other, that we would stand firm, that we would resist the schemes of the devil so that we would keep faith until the end. And so, let me ask all of us to consider this question. Are you persevering in the faith? Are you holding fast to Jesus? Are you standing firm against the schemes of the devil by taking up the armour of God? If you feel like you're growing weary and faith is weak, and it's often tempting to throw in the towel. Today, the Lord is calling you to remember who you are in Christ and who you belong to. Today, the Lord is calling you to stand firm, to not give up, but to take hold of all that he has provided for you already. Not to do more, to hold on. He will sustain you. He will strengthen you. He will protect you from the attacks of the enemy. And he will not let you fall. So keep trusting in him. If you would say that you are standing firm in the Lord... Funnily enough, the Lord this morning is calling you to do exactly the same thing. To keep hold of him. To keep trusting in him. To not be deceived, thinking that you are exempt from the attacks of the enemy. The devil, he is constantly looking for opportunity and he will chip away at your armour however he can. So keep alert with all perseverance. Don't rely on yourself, but keep asking the Lord to sustain you in everything. But continue to clothe yourself in his armour, for he is the one who is helping you. Stand firm. Keep trusting in him. Uh, This passage, it brings us to the end of our series in Ephesians. And it's been quite breathtaking, hasn't it? We've seen so much of the past, present and future realities of our salvation. And I personally have found it so encouraging for Paul to finish on such a practical note for the things for the here and now for us as the church. So in light of all that God has done for us, in predestining us, in raising us from death, in seating us in the heavenly places with Christ, 
from breaking down this dividing wall of hostility and reconciling us with each other. In light of all this, this is how we are now to live out our salvation. Putting on the armour of God. Standing firm against the schemes of the devil. Taking the gospel to those in need. Holding fast to the word of God and desperate and humble in prayer. We are to live our lives now in the reality that the division between us and God and us and one another has indeed been destroyed. What a truly great and mighty God we serve, friends. So please, would you join me in prayer as I close, and then we're going to sing in response to our Lord Jesus Christ. Gracious Father, we do thank you and praise you for all of your kindness to us. And that not only have you rescued us and you've called us to yourself and you have made us your own, Lord, you have given us everything that we need for us to stand firm in you, for us to hold on to Christ, for us to make it to the end, to persevere. And so, Father, I pray for all of us, wherever that we're at this morning, that we would find all that we need in our Lord Jesus. For those who are feeling weak and weary, Lord, would you strengthen them, lift up their hearts to you, and reassure them, Lord, that they do belong to you. For those, Lord, who are walking strong with you at the moment, would you help them not to be deceived and to be tempted to trust and rely in and of themselves, Lord, but they would continue to hold fast to Christ for all that they need. And Lord, in everything, would you unite us in the gospel of your Son and by the strength of your Spirit and his power, Lord, that you would continue to shape us and mould us into his image. And Lord, we pray all of these things for our good and for your glory. In Christ.